This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture lesson for this morning is found in 1 Kings chapter 19, starting at verse 9. And just to set the stage in our continuing series, a frightened and sad and depressed prophet Elijah has fled from Ahab's wife Jezebel. He has gone down to Beersheba where he, he left his servant. He traveled another day while he found comfort and nourishment under a broom tree. He went another 40 days to Mount Horeb in the, in the Sinai wilderness. And now let's pick up the story. And there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I alone, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and, and broke it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel, to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphath, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. The one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shapheth, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. 
And he said, go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and, and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you this morning for your wondrous goodness and grace. We have seen your mighty hand, your power, your miraculous works. Many of us have experienced your majesty and the wonder of your infinite power. But Father, so often, as as in the case of Elijah, we are discouraged, we are depressed, we are laid low, and you speak to us with a still, small voice. Father, help us to hear that voice this morning, especially those who may be in turmoil and who are discouraged and who are simply worn out. Lord, we thank you for all of the ministries, the outreaches of our church. We thank you, of course, for our high school graduates and the the love that has been poured into them all of these years, and we simply bring them before you. We know that this is a troubled world. We ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to draw them to yourself. Lord, give them hearts that are hungry for the word, who who fall in love once again with the message of the gospel, and may their lives walk in tune and in step with yours. Father, keep them from harm. Keep them from the evil one and give them eyes that are focused upon Jesus, their Savior and Redeemer. It has been our privilege to love them and encourage them, to teach them, and to allow them a part in the ministry of our church. And we simply ask that your hand of guidance and protection would go with them. Lord, we lift up those who are hurting, those who are uh, going through times of distress. We've heard overnight that Edna Walker was taken to the hospital with an issue with her appendix. And uh, Lord, we pray that your healing hand would be upon her, that you would keep her close to your side. Father, be with the keels as they have given uh, birth to little Silas. And we know he has his own issues. And we pray for his safety and, and encouragement for the whole family in whatever may lie ahead that they would trust in you and keep their eyes focused upon you again lord we thank you for the scripture that is before us we ask as pastor carr comes to share uh, the message from this passage that our hearts would be ready to receive what you have for us that we indeed would hear from you in a still small voice and be changed, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Is it okay if I ask for the lights to be turned up just a little bit? It's a little dark. I can't see your lovely faces, and that that makes me nervous as a preacher. <laughs> uh, we are in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, and as Ian prayed, uh, this is one of those passages that really strikes you 
as you see the struggle um, that Elijah had faced. The truth of the matter is sometimes things don't go as we plan. Can I get an amen to that? Sometimes things don't go as we plan. And if we're honest, that can be disappointing at least. Um, And if we're really honest, those situations can be discouraging and downright overwhelming. An example of this, as I was thinking through this sermon, was specifically related to one of our church planters. As you know, our church has been involved in church planting for nearly 12 years now. And as I look over those 12 years, I think of all the difficulties that it is to begin a new work. But there was a particular church planter that had spent well over two years uh, building and training a core team, spent time fundraising and even cultivating the neighborhood in anticipation of their launch that would be an Easter 2020. And then COVID hit in March. And it seemed like all of that planning was for nothing. As the great philosopher Mike Tyson says, everyone has a plan till you're punched in the face. And that was exactly what our church planter, Josh Spires, felt like. You can imagine how disappointed he was. You can imagine the fact that his efforts and planting and planning were all put on hold. What went from days turned into weeks, and slowly, before his very eyes, everything seemed to fall apart. As I stated earlier, sometimes things don't go as we plan. Truth is, our church planter's story is not alone. It's the story of every one of us who's a believer. There are times when we struggle to make sense of what God is up to. And that's simply for this reason. We have a limited, finite understanding. We have a limited, finite understanding. And because we have that limited, finite understanding, it requires faith in an infinite God whose word is always true. Hear the words of the prophet Isaiah as he's talking and speaking for the Lord. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. That was the experience of Elijah as well, as Pastor Ian so clearly pointed out, we've seen these events in Elijah's life. He saw God reveal his power on Mount Carmel by sending lightning and consuming Elijah's wet sacrifice. He saw God's power in sending rain in the midst of a difficult drought. He saw God's power in even empowering himself, Elijah, to outrun the king's chariot to Jezreel. And yet through all of that, King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, and the people never repented of their idolatry. Instead, the queen put a bounty on Elijah's head, calling for his death. Things were not going as Elijah planned, so Elijah fled. He fled to the southern kingdom, dejected and discouraged. He sat under a broom tree, and there he begged to die. 
Yet in an act of compassion, God sent an angel to him who strengthened Elijah. And Elijah went on to Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. I would love to tell you that it was at that point everything changed for Elijah. But the truth is it didn't. Elijah still struggled to understand God's plan. Where our text picks up, we see Elijah discouraged, discouraged from Jezreel, sitting under a broom tree in the southern kingdom to a 40 days journey to Mount Horeb. And now he continues to be discouraged even as he settles into a cave to go to sleep. How many of us can sympathize with Elijah? the difficulties life has brung in our own physical ailments, the difficulties of broken relationships, the struggle of just the emotion to get up and deal with the culture. Disappointment is ever around us. We sometimes wonder, what is God up to? God, where are you? For while his location has changed a lot, Elijah's disappointment hasn't. And in this testing of faith, Elijah was being stressed out, wrung out, vexed by the circumstances he was facing and the belief he was struggling to maintain. Truth of the matter is, we're all called to have faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, things we don't already hold. That's what faith is. And the Christian walk is a walk of faith, of, of believing and trusting, even when we do not hold in our hand the thing we so desperately desire. Church, faith is about trust, and it's by faith how we please God. The writer of Hebrews continues in verse 6, he says in chapter 11, verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Without faith it is impossible to please God. I am a father of three, and I can tell you that there was a moment with each child when I realized for the first time, they trust me. I remember a particular time when Noah was only two or three, and he was hanging from some monkey bars, and I could see in his face, he was, he was a little bit frightened because of the distance, and I said, just jump to me, son. Just jump. You could see the turmoil and wondering, will dad catch me? But when he let go and I caught him, the joy that was upon his face was only outdone by the joy that was in my heart that he trusted me. I'm not a perfect father, but there is one who is perfect. And he calls each and every one of us to trust him in the midst of those trials. Church, I remind you that our limited, finite understanding requires faith in an infinite God's word. That's what we're called to. 
And that faith will be tested as it was for Elijah, as it was for the church planter, as it is in the saints who sit in this room. Our faith will be tested. James writes, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy when you meet trials. That's the calling of God. There's a missionary by the name of John Patton. Some say Payton. I'm not exactly sure how his last name is pronounced, but I do know that he was a Scottish missionary who went over to a place called the New Hebride Islands. And in his desire was to see this unreached people group reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even in the very desiring to go, he he faced difficulty as, as those who were in leadership would tell him, you'll be eaten by cannibals, you're crazy, you should never go. Finally, upon going and eventually upon marrying and, and, and bringing his wife to the island, she with child were sick. And he lost not only his wife, but he lost also his child. There in the midst of that struggle, you would think he would have wanted to return home, but he realized he was there on mission from God. But things didn't get easier. It wasn't like there was a magical turnaround in his experience. No difficulty was all around him. As now his life was threatened by the very people he sought to save. Hear his own words. My enemies seldom slacken in their hateful desires against my life. However calmed or baffled for a moment, a wild chief followed me around for four hours with a loaded musket. And though often directed it towards me, God restrained his hand. I spoke kindly to him and attended to my work as if he was not there, fully persuaded that my God had placed me there and would protect me till my allotted task was finished. Looking up in unceasing prayer to our dear Lord Jesus, I left all in his hands and I felt immortal till my work was done. He believed he was there on mission, and yet the trials and the difficulties awaited him. How about us? Those of us who realize that God has called us for such a time as this, do we realize that the testing of our faith is to be expected? If so, how is that testing affecting you? How are the trials and the difficulties that you're facing affecting you in your walk with Christ and your trust with the one who is sovereign over all? In many ways, I look at a man like John Patton and I wonder, Lord, could I have that kind of faith to believe that I am here and that nothing will stop me from doing what you've called me to do until you're done? Do we have that kind of understanding in God's sovereignty? That kind of belief in God's ability to do his good will even in the midst of trial? 
That was Elijah's struggle. Things were not going as planned. There was not the repentance of King Ahab or Queen Jezebel or the people. He had expected fully that after God showed his power, the people would repent. But there was no repentance. And so he sulked. And he wished to be dead. And yet in the midst of this, God speaks. In verse 9, we're told that there in that cave, God spoke asking Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And listen to Elijah's answer. He says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and even I, only I am left, and they seek my life. If anyone could make a case for the reason to sulk, surely it was Elijah. And he made his case known to God. He said very clearly, I and I alone continue to be faithful. Your people have forsaken your covenant. They've rebelled against you. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophet. And now they seek my life. In Elijah's mind, his argument seemed sound. But then God spoke. And God revealed his sovereignty to this prophet. God tells him, go stand on the mountain before the Lord. And then we're told three ways the Lord passed by. It says, a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rock before the Lord. But then it says, the Lord was not in the wind. And then we're told that after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. What's ironic is that all three of these, the wind, the earthquake, and the fire, is the ways in which God, in previous times past, had spoken to his people, Israel. But God chose not to reveal himself to Elijah in any of these ways. The way that God chose to speak to Elijah in verse 12 was through a low whisper. In gentleness, God spoke. Friends, don't miss that this morning. God could have spoken through, through the wind. God could have spoken through the earthquake. God could have spoken through the fire. But the way in which God desired to speak to this ailing prophet was through a whisper in gentleness. And again, he asks Elijah in this whisper, what are you doing here? Again, Elijah makes his argument. I and I alone am left. The people have broken your covenant. They're not faithful, but I am. They've killed your prophet. They've thrown down your altars. They're seeking my life. And look how God answers. In verse 15, God says, go and return your will to the wilderness of Damascus. He's basically saying, leave the south and go back to the north. Go back to where Jezebel reigns. My work with you isn't done. Even in the midst of your struggling, even in the midst of your discouragement, I'm not finished yet. And then he tells him what he wants him to do. I want you to anoint Hazel, king of Syria. 
I want you to anoint Jehu, king over Israel. I want you to anoint Elisha to be your replacement. In this, God is showing his absolute sovereignty over all, over the Gentiles of Syria, over the rebellious Israelites of the north, and even over the ministry of Elijah as well. For he made it very clear, I and I alone am sovereign. And Elijah, don't fool yourself. You're not the only one who's faithful. Look at verse 18. There are 7,000 who've not bowed a knee to Baal. I'm still in charge. I still reign. And my power is evident. Friends, don't miss this. The truth of the matter is the word of the Lord is powerful and true. The word of the Lord strengthens our faith. Our own confession of faith says this. It says, by faith, a Christian believes to be true whatever is revealed in the word. Let me read that again. By faith, a Christian believes to be true whatever is revealed in the word. I think many go by the name Christian today, but have thrown away the word of God. But a true believer of God's word submits himself or herself to the word of God as the absolute and final authority for everything they believe and everything they do. The confession actually goes on to say, the believer yields obedience to the commands. The believer trembles at the threats of Scripture. The believer embraces the promises of God for this life as well as for the next. One who truly has faith submits to the Word of God, not to their feelings, not to their emotions, not to their desires, not to what's convenient in culture, but one who truly believes submits to the word of God, for the word of God is the source of our strength. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, verse 28, strengthen me according to your word, not apart from it. How often we're looking to be strengthened in the wind or the earthquake or the fire. But the psalmist understood that true strength comes from the word. And if we believe that, how would it change the way that we live? How important would it be for us to read the scriptures every morning, every afternoon, and every evening? How important would it be for us to gather to hear the preaching of the word? How important would it be for us to memorize God's word? if we truly believe that God's word is a source of strength even in the midst of trial. Oh, how we must remember that our limited, finite understanding requires faith in the infinite God's word. Church, I ask you personally, how has God's word encouraged you? How has God's word strengthened you in your faith in times in the past? How is it strengthening you now? Do you find yourself leaning on God's word or looking for outside sources to be your strength? 
As God strengthens, he does this, yes, through his word, but also by gracious provision. Elijah is strengthened by the gracious gracious provision of God. For Elijah is told to depart, and he departs, and he finds Elisha there, just as God said. We're told in verse 19 that Elisha was plowing with an ox, a team of oxen. He was some sort of wealthy farmer as he had 12 yoke of oxen, and there he was working the field, which shows that the drought truly had ended. He was planting his crops. And as Elijah passed him by, he cast his cloak upon Elisha, calling him. And the most amazing thing to me in the story is Elijah's response to Elijah. Elisha willingly left his oxen and he ran after Elijah. Yes, he says in verse 20, let me return and kiss my father and mother. Let me say my goodbyes. Which is interesting, Elijah's response to Elisha's request. He says, for what have I done to you? I believe there's a lot packed into that statement as Elijah knows the turmoil and the trials that are given to the man who's to serve the Lord. And yet this young man has been called. So he allows him to go back and to kiss his family goodbye. And as Elisha goes back, he does something absolutely astounding. He slays the oxen. He burns the yokes. He boils their flesh. He sacrifices to the Lord. Elisha, in total commitment to God, walks away from one calling to the other. Just for a moment, bask in the good news of companionship. The idea of being strengthened and supported by another. Elijah, just a little bit ago, was at his lowest point, and now he sees a young team member come to join in the work, someone who will be yoked beside him in the work, in the ministry, in the calling as a prophet. I'm reminded of the story of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. If you've never read it, I would wholly encourage you to do that. One of the most amazing things in the story is the way in which Bunyan writes of all the individuals who are placed in Christian's life to encourage him in this journey towards the celestial city. Let me name just a few. There was a man called Help who actually pulled Christian out of the mire and the pond of despond right at the beginning of the story. Right after Christian set foot to go forward on the journey, he finds himself in the mire of the pond of despond, and there God provides one called Help. And again, a friend called Faithful who Christian met after the palace, beautiful, longing for a companion as he had walked alone. He so desired one to walk together with. And this one came in the name of Faithful. They walked together into Vanity Fair, and it was there that Faithful was martyred for his faith. The testimony and the strength of Faithful encouraged young Christian in his walk. But again... 
Christian would find himself alone. But not for long. As a young one called Hopeful began to follow. Hopeful walked with Christian from Vanity Fair all through the trials of Doubting Castle to the final leg of the celestial city. And it's near the end of the story that we see Hopeful being the one who encouraged Christian the last leg of crossing the river over into the celestial city. Friends, it's a perfect picture as one moves from this life to the next. We all need those types of companions in our lives. The one who's called help, the one who's called faithful, the one who's called hopeful. And this is exactly what Elijah received in Elisha. Because God strengthened Elijah's faith through gracious provision of a friend. Friends, we all need companions. And that's why the community of faith, the church, is so important. It's so important that we pour into one another's lives and encourage each other in our walk. So I ask you this morning, who has God, God given you as an encouragement? Who has God placed in your life to encourage you on this journey? And a greater question still, who are you encouraging? Who are you being helpful towards? Who are you showing what faithfulness looks like? Who are you teaching about hope? Friends, don't miss this. Our trials and tribulations are unique opportunities to encourage others as well as opportunities for us to be encouraged by others. God wastes nothing. God uses even the most difficult situations for his glory and our good. Elijah's faith was tested by what he experienced. Yet God would not let Elijah sit in his discouragement. God gently corrected Elijah and strengthened his faith by providing a gracious companion and a gentle word. The truth is, we all know that we will experience or are experiencing trials of our faith. And those trials are opportunities for us to lean upon God's word and lean upon the church he surrounded us with. Because the bottom line is this, our finite understanding requires faith in an infinite God's most holy word. The psalmist writes in Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made the heavens and the earth. One of the most interesting things, I think, that has struck me in my my walk with the Lord recent is the truth that God is not a liar. And what I mean by that is the fact that God can never lie because God speaks things into existence. What a powerful God we serve because everything he says will be absolutely true because God cannot lie for God's word 
is powerful. The scriptures in the New Testament have made it clear that Jesus is the living word of God. And it's through Jesus that we are strengthened. It's through Jesus that we're given hope. It's through Jesus that we find our salvation. May we place our faith and trust in Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close our Bibles, as we, as we step away from Elijah's difficulty, Lord, we recognize our own discouragement, our own wrestling matches of faith. And yet, Lord, we see the way in which you care for your people. You display your sovereignty through your word as what you say will happen because you are not a liar. And yet, Lord, you've surrounded us by a great cloud of witnesses, those who encourage us in our walk, those who walk along this journey, this road of difficulty with us. Lord, may our eyes be fixed upon heaven as we are encouraged by the saints and as we encourage the saints. May you truly be the source of our satisfaction. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. God's people said... This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.